Welcome to the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am passionate about helping women just like you embrace your true self so you can show up confidently in your life. Join me as we talk about overcoming limiting beliefs, reshaping what health and wellness really look like, and take steps to becoming captivatingly confident. With all that said, let's go to the show. Hey friends, welcome back. This is episode 52 of the Captivatingly Confident Podcast. I am so excited to be here with you today. My name is Kim Ludeman, and I am a confidence coach with Captivatingly Confident. I'm the founder of this amazing company that seeks to help women unbecome what they think they should be so that they can live the way they want to be. And a lot of that focuses on nutrition, movement, health, and body image. Because this is something that I am deeply, deeply passionate about. I get fired up about it and you're going to hear it today. Lots of fire in today's episode. But it comes from a place of understanding and experience and training. Because I have been a personal trainer and nutrition coach for 10 years. And it has been my joy and pleasure to work with literally thousands of people over that decade, helping them have a better relationship with their body and with food. And in that time, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot professionally and personally. My own food struggles go back as early as when I was six, when I had a crazy dependence on sugar. And that sugar dependence led into a junk food frenzy in my life, which kept me stuck in a body I didn't really like. I had no energy, terrible skin, and just a really low self-esteem, which was really hard. And it wasn't until the summer of 2005 when I started to turn things around and I discovered exercise for the first time. And I started working out and changing the way that I ate. Unfortunately, I am one of those extreme personalities where if I do something, I do it hard. We're going all the way. And that's what happened with nutrition. I got stuck doing all kinds of diets, and we'll talk about it a little bit more in the episode. But I want to front load this and just tell you that my experience may be similar to yours, and it may not be, but what it has given me is an amazing ability to relate, to understand, and to help because I have seen what it takes to get on the other side of disordered eating. And I can tell you that when you get to that other side, it is life-changing. I promise you. I promise you it is. So today we're going to really look at disordered eating. But I got ahead of myself. Let me finish this quick little story. I try not to talk about myself too much, (laughs) which can sometimes be a little interesting when I have so much to to relate to in a topic. So I got really stuck on counting calories, eating out of measuring cups, focus uh, over-focusing on healthy foods, quotes, air quotes around healthy, and just developed this really bad relationship with food where it involved binging and restriction and rules and rigidity that caused so many problems for me into my married life. 
when we try to go out to dinner and I would end up in tears because we couldn't find anywhere where I could eat because it didn't have the right foods. And that struggle was terrible. And it's only been in the last, I would say, eight years that I feel finally like I'm on the other side of this. And so in those last eight years, it's been a process of figuring out how that worked for me and how it can work for other people. And so one of the ways that I have found is to really unearth your beliefs about food, to raise your awareness around them. All change begins with awareness. You cannot change what you are not aware of and you don't know what you don't know. You don't. So today I'm hoping that you walk away feeling like you understand yourself a little bit better, that you understand some of the triggers around food, some of the beliefs that you have. And if you do discover that maybe you do struggle with disordered eating, that you have some resources and some help available to you because it's no way to live. It's not. It's awful. And I understand what feeling like a slave to food can do to your life. I completely understand. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and am now on the other side of it. And it's amazing. All right, so we're going to start by looking at what it is that causes us to have these behaviors that disorient us from food. We're born intuitive eaters. Kids are intuitive with their food selection. They eat when they're hungry. They stop when they're full. The only reason that that doesn't happen for us as adults is because we have had influences on our thoughts and beliefs about food that taint that relationship. And that can be parents or caregivers forcing you to eat foods you didn't want to, bribing you to eat foods you didn't want to, forcing you to eat more than you wanted to by cleaning your plate, bringing about shame with food, using food as a reward or a punishment or means of comfort, right? How many times when you did something great were you taken out for ice cream or if you got hurt or you were sad that you were offered food as a way to cheer up? And so we develop these crutches, these beliefs, these rules about food based on our experience, And my goal is to help you get back in touch with that intuitive eater that's inside of you and help you unlearn what you think you know about nutrition so that you can actually use it to your benefit, so that you can raise your confidence by making choices about food that empower you rather than keep you stuck and restricted and dependent upon willpower and discipline. Because food isn't about discipline. It's not. But we reward ourselves by thinking that it is and that if we just do good enough, that we'll get where we want to be. We'll have the body that we want. We'll finally feel satisfied. But it doesn't quite work like that. So let's take a look at these. The first one is food labels. So again, these are behaviors that if you're engaging in these behaviors, chances are you have disordered eating patterns that need to be addressed. Food labels. This is where we call something healthy or unhealthy. It's either one or the other. There's no middle ground. Either it's good for you or it's bad for you. And you can automatically see where the problem is because if there's no middle ground, there's no room for intuition. It either is or it isn't. 
And when you have those labels, it brings up also a moralization of food, right? So we think of unhealthy foods as bad, healthy foods as good. Again, no middle ground, black or white. And this extremist thinking can get you into trouble real fast. Because as you live and breathe, you have cravings. And those are completely natural. You are designed to want sweet foods. This is not an anomaly. This is not something that sets you apart from everybody else. It is a biological fact. You are designed to want salty, crunchy, flavorful foods. This is not a weakness in you. This is just the way you are wired. And the problem is, is again, we, we label these foods. And so when you moralize it and you say that this, this bag of Doritos or that box of donuts, those are bad foods. Those are unhealthy foods. What happens is we tag that with guilt. If you eat a bad food, that makes that behavior bad. And as you do that over and over again, you choose the bad foods. You slip or you cheat or you fall off the wagon and you accidentally <laughs> accidentally eat something you don't want to. I love in the Whole30 book by Melissa Hartwig, uh, she's got this no excuses section. It's hardcore. But she says, you know, you don't slip and land into a box of pizza face first. Like you chose to eat pizza. Own it. You didn't slip. But again, it's that relationship that we have with food based on these labels. And so if you eat a bad food often enough, you feel guilty. And guilt and shame are two different things. I just want to clarify this. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. And those are very different things. However, if you have this repeated cycle of guilt, it turns into shame. And that shame sometimes hangs out in your subconscious. You may not be aware. You're probably not walking around going, I'm terrible. I eat the bad foods all the time. And maybe you do. Maybe you don't. Maybe it's hanging out in the sub. The sub zone, I'm apparently going to call it now. But it hangs out in that subconscious. And it is just out of reach of your awareness. But you feel the, you feel the shame. Shame is an energy in your body and it takes up space and you can feel it when you have awareness in your body and you can find that short source of shame. This is something that I do with my clients is we identify where that shame is in the body and we work to get it out of the body so you can make room for positive energy that again boosts your confidence that gives you a feeling of empowerment rather than powerlessness that comes with shame and guilt. These also fall into food rules. And for a lot of my early experience with food, I lived by food rules. And there are still some that I live by, but I'm in check with those. So we're going to talk about rules that run rampant and rules that help. Because that's true for life. There are rules that we live by, rules of the universe, rules of life. Like it's a rule that you put your seatbelt in on in the car, right? That is a safety measure to keep you safe. It is a rule that you do not walk into a busy street of traffic because the cars don't stop. It's like on Elf, the yellow ones don't stop. 
you'll get hit, you get hurt. There are rules for a reason. And some rules are helpful and some are not. And oftentimes the food rules are not helpful when they, again, cause that guilt or shame feeling inside of you. So food rules can sound like eating at a specific time during the day, not eating after a specific time, how much you're allowed to eat, what kinds of foods you're allowed to eat. These rules keep you stuck. Because what if you are supposed to have three meals a day, you're in between a meal, and you're hungry? Suddenly, you become obsessively thinking about the next time that you can get your hands on some food because you're hungry, but you're not going to break the rule of three meals a day. Again, it's not listening to the intuition, but rather relying on external rules to keep you safe in your mind. But it's not a safety. It's, it's acting out of fear. Fear of losing control, fear of gaining weight, fear of messing up, fear of shame and guilt. And those fears are what keep the rules intact. And that can be really problematic. Examples of good rules, for me, I don't snack. It is one of the rules that I live by. I don't, I don't have a limited number of meals per day, but I don't snack because my stomach is very sensitive and snacking actually makes digestion harder for me. And I find that if I space my meals out, usually about three or four hours, my digestion is so much better. I feel better, I don't have any heartburn, I don't have any bloating or gas. It just works better for me. It's not a rule that causes me guilt or shame. I don't feel bad if I do have a snack. But I know, for me, that that doesn't work well. So there's a difference there between living by someone else's rules about food and understanding how food affects you and how your body responds. And this is, again, one of the amazing parts of working with clients is helping them uncover their rules about food and helping establish ones that are going to be beneficial and empowering rather than guilting or shaming. Numbers. This is a huge one. Eating by the numbers, calories, macronutrients, portion sizes. Macros means your proteins, carbs, and fats. Having specific amounts each day that you eat. Having specific calorie limits for certain foods. Portion sizes. I used to eat out of measuring cups, (laughs) y'all. Literally eating out of a measuring cup because I wanted to control my calories so badly. Again, acting from that place of fear that if I went outside of my caloric amount, that I was going to gain weight or become out of control. And it became obsessive. And that is no way to live. Because again, those, that behavior leads to the guilt and the shame. Because if you eat too much, what have you done? You are bad. You ate too much. If you don't eat enough, you may not even be hungry for more food, but if you have extra calories left over at the day, you're going to fill those. This is one of the pitfalls of Weight Watchers. Sorry if you love Weight Watchers. I am sorry, not sorry. But with points, you can save them up for specific foods. Or if you have extras left over at the end of the day, yay, I get more food, even if you're not hungry. There's something about having those leftover allowance points that just triggers in your mind, I need to use those. 
right? Because we have this fear of losing out, FOMO, right? Fear of missing out, losing out. We would rather save $5 than risk the chance to win $5. And that is the same thing for eating by the numbers. Food as a reward or a punishment. Again, this is another sign that you might be struggling with disordered eating. And this can be learned early on too. Maybe you were rewarded for eating your vegetables by getting dessert. Maybe you were punished for food. Maybe you punish yourself for food. If you eat too many slices of pizza, you have to punish yourself by working out more, running that extra mile, lifting extra weights, taking that extra class just to justify it, just to even it out, to make it okay. Rather than saying, wow, that was more pizza than I wanted to have. All right, maybe next time I'll, I'll remember this and I'll see how much pizza I need. Again, returning to that mindfulness and that intuition in your body. And P.S., burning off calories that way, it does not work in the long run. It just doesn't. So if you are one of those punishing selves where you just punish yourself and, and try to make it up in the gym, that doesn't work. Just a spoiler alert. Food ingredients. And this is for my health nuts out there. I, I see you. I resonate. I got you. This is a tough one. I remember about seven years ago, Tim and I went on vacation Tim is my husband, if you don't know. And I remember standing in the middle of a Fred Meyer and we were getting groceries for, for dinner. And I started crying in the middle of the grocery store. And Tim was like, what is wrong? And I was like, there is nothing for me to eat. And he's like, what are you talking about? We're in a grocery store. I said, there's nothing. There's nothing I can eat. All the foods, they're all prepared and processed. Like we can't even get a rotisserie chicken because it has maltodextrin. And I just remember him having this look on his face of sadness because Tim does not have the hangups with food that I used to. And he was so sad for me because standing in the middle of a grocery store, I couldn't find anything to eat because I wasn't eating fruit because it had too much sugar. I couldn't have too many vegetables because it would make my stomach hurt. I couldn't have processed foods because of all the crappy ingredients. And there was just nothing. Now grocery stores are so much better and there's so many more options, but even seven years ago, there were not so many options, but my mind was so off kilter. There was so much guilt and shame and fear that was taking over that it caused this disordered relationship with food. Food rolls, not food rules, rolls is another kind of alerter. And this is using food outside of its intended role. There's pretty much four major roles that food falls into. So it's an emotional, social, physical, and nourishment. These are the ways that food interacts in our lives. Emotional eating can be eating for comfort, eating for pleasure, eating when you're bored, when you're lonely, sad, stressed. Social eating is just what it sounds like in a social situation eating at work, going out to dinner, parties, going over to somebody's house. This is a social situation. Physical, when you literally are starving and you need some food. And this is also, we talk about eating for fuel. Food is fuel. 
that falls into that phys- physical, physiological need for calories, for energy in the form of food. And then lastly is nourishment. And this is kind of the goal of food. This is like gold star level right here, is when you use food to nourish not only your body, but your mind and your soul as well. And that's the place of intuitive eating, mindful eating. And it's an amazing place to get to when you strip away the roles and the rules and the labels and the numbers, and you look at what foods make you feel good, what foods make you feel empowered, what foods give you energy and life and not take away from it. Food cravings. P.S. Cravings are totally natural. That is a biological thing that you are hardwired for, and there are multiple causes for cravings. Hormones, right? PMS, we want chocolate. Stress, we want crunchy things. A lot of times, it comes back to the labels. You crave things that are off limits, right? We all have an inner rebel on the inside of our head that's like, what do you mean I can't have Doritos? Of course I can. I'm going to have Doritos, darn it, because you said I can't. You said they're bad for me. Well, guess what? I'm eating Doritos. P.S. Doritos and cottage cheese. Amazing. Don't knock it till you try it. It's <laughs> You'll never go back. It's amazing. But it's that, the the guilt and the shame and the moralizing of these cravings where we think, oh, I have a sugar addiction because I crave sugar all the time. There are reasons for that. And a lot of them are emotional and come back to the labels and moralization of food. And also understanding how food was viewed when you were a kid. How was sugar presented to you? Was it presented as something to limit, to restrict, to moderate, or to indulge in whenever you wanted, right? All of these factors play into this. And the last one we're going to talk about is binging. And this is where you have, it's almost an out-of-body experience where you are so distracted and so just not in your own mind that you eat way past the point of fullness. And it's not because the food tastes so good. It's because you're trying to meet a need. And that need gets overridden, and you just eat and eat and eat and eat. And when you finally come to, it's like you wake up, you're like, whoa, what did I just eat? How much did I? Oh, wow. And the rush of guilt and shame is immediate. You know what just happened, but you don't know how to stop it. You don't know how to fix it. And maybe you purge. Or maybe you punish and you hit the gym the next day even harder, trying to justify and to make yourself feel a little bit better about the binge that you had the night before. And these are all signs that you have a relationship with food that is stealing your power. It is taking your confidence away from you because these choices that you make are coming from a place of willpower right? Having to do something you don't want to do or a place of punishment or guilt or shame. 
And this is why losing weight is incredibly difficult. If you're coming at it from this arena, from this level in your life, the changes aren't going to stick. And that is such a hard thing to grasp, but it's got to come from a place of self-acceptance and appreciation. If you want to lose weight, if you want to get healthy, if you want to make changes for the long term, it has to come from a different place. And this is why I'm so passionate about that process of change, of awareness and accepting, appreciating, valuing and investing and growing. When you get to that growth phase, that is where you make these changes. That's when you start to look at the foods that you're eating. That's where you can start to incorporate healthier foods, but from a place of self-care rather than self-loathing, of freedom, not restriction, of hope and empowerment, not guilt and shame. That's why you struggle. That's why this stuff right here is so hard, and it's hard to get through it on your own. It's really hard to overcome these. So if you have resonated with one or more of these different aspects of disordered eating, I implore you to get help. Whether it's from me or another coach or a dietitian or someone that you trust that can help you start to unravel some of these and help you reclaim your power from them. Someone that can help you define health in a way that, again, bolsters your confidence, not takes it away. Because healthy, again, it's so different for every person. And when you understand what health looks like for you, and it's something that you want, you'll get it. You will get it. When you make changes from a selfish place, that's when you succeed. It sounds counterintuitive. It's like, what? But when you want something, you go get it. Versus if you're trying to get healthy for somebody else, or if you're living by someone else's food rules, that doesn't work long-term. If you're following a diet plan, that's not going to work. Diets fail 99.9% of the time, especially when it comes to long-term. Because again, you're relying on willpower. Willpower. You're battling that inner rebel in your mind. And you're playing by rules that just fill you up with guilt and shame. And if you want to successfully take your power back from food, it's going to take some work. And you're going to need some specialized help. And this is my passion. This is my zone of genius. This is what I excel at, is helping you identify the rules that you're playing by and start to take those away so that you can take your power back from food. We look at swaps that you can make in your diet that'll help boost your energy, get you feeling better faster. We look at digestive issues and work to solve those. And then we start to incorporate new ways of thinking about food so that you can approach it differently and rediscover that intuition inside of you, that mindfulness about your food that you can't practice because you've got these rules and this disordered relationship with food. So if you're interested in working with me, 
I would love to talk to you. You can send me an email, kim at captivatinglyconfident.com, or you can reach out to me on Facebook, send me a PM, Instagram, send me a DM at kim.ludeman. I want to talk to you. I want to figure out what's not working for you and what you want, where you want to go, and help you get there. I am so honored to be a part of your journey and your story. Thank you so much for for investing in yourself. That's what you're doing when you listen to this podcast. You're investing in yourself. And I am just inspired by you. I am motivated by you, challenged by you. Oh, you are amazing. I want you to go find a mirror and I want you to tell yourself that you are amazing. Kim said so. (laughs) And what I say is true. So there you go. Okay, my friends, this is the end of episode 52, and I just I just want to take a second again and recognize that you are an incredible human being, and raising awareness around these topics is uncomfortable and scary and hard, and I just commend you for spending the time and listening and to start to think about some of these things. And again, if you are not a part of our Captivatingly Confident community, you can find us on Facebook. Come and join the group. It's an amazing place to get support, ask questions, and to get some ground covered on your confidence journey. I'll see you next time.